And welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast that looks at vintage cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended audience, still captivated by the glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I am Stephen Alexander. I'm Jason Thompson. And I'm Steve Walker. That's three today, three for a very special reason. Uh, But it's not this episode, our first episode, which is Quest for Survival. This episode is written by Reed Robbins and Peter Salas, who previously did Countdown to Extinction. Initially, we are seeing the Insecticon menace. The Insecticons are back, and they're back in a big way. They are attacking people all over the world. It doesn't matter what kind of hat you're wearing, doesn't matter what country you're from, the Insecticons are going to be attacking you. And everybody seems to know who the Insecticons are as well. Where did they all come from? Because originally it was just three or four now there's thousands of them oh it's the insecticon clones which we see in their first episode they can make multiple copies of themselves nature um, if you can get away with it yeah exactly it was never very clear what kind of clones they were because how autonomous they were or anything like that but i did think that the animation of the hordes of insecticons approaching the farms was actually really good i like the insecticons anyway um but yeah, I think the uh, the swarms of Insecticons were done very well. One thing that did confuse me the first time I watched it, I watched this about three times um, in preparation for this. We, we do our research, folks. Um, was It wasn't terribly clear to me whether these were supposed to be simultaneous attacks or sequential attacks, because in every single one of them, the Insecticons, Bombshell, Kickback and Shrapnel were speaking. And previously, I'm sure the Insecticon clones were just mute copies that just wandered around shooting and eating, eat shoots and leaves. Um, <laughs> Shrapnel. But, Shrapnel, uh, bombshell Shrapnel. and kickback. Shrapnel is, he's, he's the leader-ish. Sometimes mm. he's the leader of the Insecticons. And I have always found him really annoying because of the way they've done his speech he usually repeats the last word or two that he says so for me shrapnel is only slightly less less annoying to listen to than warpath warpath <laughs> i love shrapnel i had shrapnel when i was a kid and he was great um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, so i like shrapnel i have a soft spot for shrapnel they're um, good shrapnel is the leader uh, Bombshell's the cool one, and Kickback is the other one. That's how you remember your Insecticons. <laughs> Very easy to tell it apart. Kickback so, yeah, so... is the Michael Collins of the Insecticons, then. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so, the, the bonus player. So they're blowing up tractors and engaging in bug play all over the world. And they uh, settle down, they start eating some palm leaves when some Autobots show up which is good because they should be dealing with this. The Insecticons are really quite a credible threat because they're eating all the food stocks around the world. They're actually quite kind of terrifying. They are They are a bit, yes. And everyone seems to know what they are, so that's good. But uh, in among the Autobot ranks, we have a new character. Hey, kids, it's Skids! <laughs> I just love saying that. Skids, okay, so we've got Trax, who we've seen, who's a, the blue car from Make Trax. We've got your favourite, Warpath. <laughs> We've got Smokescreen, Huffer, and Inferno, and we've got Skids. So Skids turns into a blue Honda City. So like he's not a sports car. 
he's not an exciting car. He's just like an average, everyday kind of car that you'd see about town. And I think he's pretty fantastic. Do you know anything about Skids? Skids, for me, is one of the more obscure ones in the toy line, certainly in the cartoon, because I think he only appears in like two episodes um, and only has about three lines. But um, for me, I always remember him because I remember a Transformers comic strip called Showdown, which was one of the original American comic strips. Uh, And in it, Skids ends up crashing due to, I think, an altercation with Ravage. And he gets picked up by uh, a cowgirl, basically, in you know denim hot pants and a and a crop top, who, um, in one very suggestive panel, is washing his windscreen while leaning over him. It's kind of this, this is a kids comic, guys. <laughs> but the yeah. main thing I remember is not that because I was you know six or seven at the time; those things went above my head. Um, but I remember that there was a dream sequence where he had a showdown with Megatron and he gets blasted into pieces by Megatron. And that uh-huh. <clears throat> that's one of the images from the comics from those days that really stuck in my mind. But that's really all I know about Skids. Steve, do you want to add to the uh, Skids discussion? No, Skids, I, I don't really remember Skids at all. Um, I know that he was recently re-released as part of the legacy... Um, brand in the figures the figure for skids is awful oh the vehicle mode for for the legacy skids is awful the robot mode isn't too bad but i i don't think he is his g1 vehicle mode in the legacy uh brand of figures uh, well, I own both the masterpiece and the legacy versions, so. Uh, <laughs> but I'm just, I'm just a terrible collector, so it's a total disaster anyway. Skids, we've talked about Skids far too much because what does Skids contribute here? Nothing, Nothing at all. Diddly, diddly squat. It's actually um, so the Insecticons set fire to tracks, uh, and fortunately they've got Inferno with him who does his party trick, well, transforming and driving three meters to extinguish the fire. That that <laughs> party trick. Yes. Could he, could he not do that without transforming? <laughs> but this is Transformers, Steve. They have to transform, otherwise we wouldn't know what cartoon we're looking at. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think he I think he can get a more powerful how can I put this? He can um uh, expel water more quickly when he's in fire truck mode. Okay, that makes sense. I think we'll, I said we'll, that in the least rude way possible. We'll we'll take that, yeah. Yeah. Well done, Steve. <laughs> Yeah, Smokescreen has had enough of this. You know, Smokescreen's not up for that. And he, he didn't even try a Smokescreen. He just sounds a retreat at two minutes and 34 seconds. And this nobody's really, arguing with him. really bugs me, actually, about this episode in that we have seen two shots, two scenes of the huge clones, Insecticon swarms, chewing up farms and eating things. And in this scene where they say they're outnumbered, we only see the three main Insecticons. They have made no effort to animate a huge swarm of Insecticons attacking them. So it looks like, basically, was it five or six Autobots run away from three Insecticons? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah not it's, good. It's, it's not good. No. So they go back to the Ark and Smokescreens are like, we were outnumbered, Prime. We disengaged before we sustained any more casualties. You weren't no outnumbered. You just bottled it. <laughs> you ran away from some bugs. Exactly. So when you've got this kind of like insecticons on Earth and lots of lots of stuff where they're in farms and fields, the most logical thing to do is then to cut to outer space. 
And yes. in outer space, we see a couple of people. Who do we see? Cosmos, Bumblebee and Spike, who hasn't actually been around for a while, a few episodes. He popped up, his stunt double popped up briefly in uh, in Child's Play. We didn't see his face or get a line from him. But uh, yeah, Spike hasn't been around for a few episodes. So it's good to see him back again. Yeah, it's good to see Cosmos and Bumblebee as well. Cosmos has is, is rapidly become a favourite. He's such a doofus. I, I absolutely <laughs> love him. And they've they've been on a quest to obtain robotic insecticide. Robotic, robotic insecticide? Robotic insecticide? Yes, robotic insecticide. They've been to a planet called Floron 3. Um, Steve, what this robotic insecticide? Does it come in a vat? Does it come in uh, in special containers? What does it look like? It, it it's actually in a robot sized. When I say robot, I mean twenty foot tall robot sized can of aerosol spray can. <laughs> yes, it's very uh, well. I, I this is our, actually our catchphrase on this podcast. It's very odd. It's very old tech as well for a, a, a race of autonomous robotic life forms. What I yeah. particularly enjoy about it is that it clearly says on the side of this giant can, robotic insecticide, complete with the triple X harmful, <laughs> dangerous markings. And I just like, why did you have to go to an entirely different planet? To get a can of something to deal with the insecticons. Do do we think that if you read the fine print on the can, because you've got your safety instructions, do we think that it says somewhere in the can that it's um, highly toxic to robot insects, not ordinary Earth-based insects? It's got to, you know, it is only effective against... It has a very specific use against yes. robot insects. Yes, that's probably what it is. My theory is that it's come from the planet in Child's Play and they've actually been back to their friend Eris or Aris Aaron. and they picked it up and it's just a standard insecticide spray that we, you would use. <laughs> and that kind of makes it... I can imagine Eris like explaining to them how to use it in his stupid child's voice. But Aaron. nobody wants Aaron. to see that. His back. name's Aaron. Aaron? <laughs> yes. Is it Aaron? Aaron? Okay, Eris, Aaron. I wasn't but paying much attention make, last week. It would make sense because as far as they're concerned, they've just had a little infestation of robot insects. So maybe yeah. they developed a robotic insecticide. <laughs> there we go. We've added more continuity than is strictly necessary. Entirely. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, they, they're not doing very well because they get attacked by medical, tent medical tentacles. Medical <laughs> tentacles. They're not doing very well because they get attacked by metal tentacles which come out from an asteroid, which they fly, they fly way too close past this asteroid. Space is, is big. It is big. Don't have to fly that close to the asteroid. They do it anyway. Spike fires the emergency jet and they manage to escape from the tentacles, but Cosmos is covered in purple spores, which could not be good. Couldn't Cosmos fire his own jets? Because... Yeah, that occurred to me as well. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 he might be. It might be this thing. I always say he's trying to make Spike feel that he's useful, but to be honest, I, <laughs> I I've used that one about four hundred times. I need to come up with another reason for people doing this kind of stuff. <laughs> but I don't care because we're cutting straight to the undersea base and the big tower that comes up from the water. And if there's one place that I always like to go, it's the undersea base. I have an issue with this. <laughs> Oh, don't tell me. What's wrong with the undersea base? 
Well, probably absolutely nothing except for every time it rises up out of the sea, doesn't it actually present a hazard to shipping? (laughs) (laughs) The sea's big. Is that okay? Yeah. (laughs) I I actually do like the the animation for the undersea base. I do I I I do get a bit of a thrill out of seeing it, especially the way that the um the door opens and there's just something very very Megatron about that base. It it is definitely it might just as well have a big sign above it saying this is Megatron's secret undersea base. (laughs) <laughs> they will uh, well uh, the only people who've been able to so, find it so far are Carly and everyone so <laughs> <laughs> they all know the where auto- it is and the Autobots just happen to have planted a spy camera on there uh, yes exactly so Megatron has uh, the Insecticons come back to the base Megatron's got this energy transfer machine and it's some transparent tubes that come down over the insecticons. They suck the energon out of them. So the insecticons are going off. They're harvesting loads of energon from all the crops. They go into the tubes, get sucked up. And uh, and then Megatron says, oh, well, thank you for all the energy. Skywalk comes out and gives them a cut of the energon, which is like a tiny armful of energon cubes. I'm not sure what's in it for the insecticons. Or- Megatron's a tightwad. I'm not sure what the whole point of that is because the Insecticons we've seen before have the ability, and this is what Megatron is exploiting, to eat stuff and convert it into Energon directly. Yeah. But if they can do that, why do they need any of the Energon that Megatron's taken out of them? Why don't they just digest what they need and go? I just think this was a a chance for Megatron to show off an alternative use for his hamster cage. (laughs) Yeah, because he's got a, in the back room, yeah, because in the back room we see this hamster cage and he's got a huge machine which has like got a conveyor belt and he's got tons of energon cubes coming off off the Insecticons. It's really it's really quite a swizz. I just don't understand why the Insecticons are doing it because, like... Well, they, as Megatron says, if they had brains, they'd be dangerous. So they're not exactly <laughs> the sharpest tools in the box, are they? Let's be honest. <laughs> no, he's probably spun them a line or something. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but anyway... So that's what's going on. So Megatron's also involved in this Insecticon nightmare. Cosmos is nearly at Earth. So we're back in space. Cosmos is nearly Earth, but the spores have all erupted into metal te- tentacles. So Cosmos is like, he's all animated up and covered in metal tentacles. He doesn't have enough energy as far as booster left. So pressing the emergency, getting Spike to press a button for him isn't going to help. And he tells Spike and Bumblebee to get into his emergency ejector chamber as he crashes down to Earth. Apart from Spike and Bumblebee... Who else would he likely to be emergency ejecting? (laughs) Um, Himself? Yeah. He doesn't necessarily need anybody on board. So is it a fail-safe mechanism? You know, dump your entire personality into a hard drive and then eject the hard drive? Well, that would be kind of appropriate because it does appear that the ejector chamber is his head. (laughs) (laughs) so there's a little red thing at the top of cosmos this little red uh there's a little red nubbin which sticks out the top and when you transform it you pull the nubbin up and it's his head and that is the thing that ejects and it's like (laughs) why are you why are you flying off in his head this is so weird uh but cosmos obviously now with he's still got his head we see later but he crashes down on earth and lands in a jungle 
and he's covered in all these tentacles. Bumblebee and Spike, they land nearby in the ejector chamber, which has got parachutes and looks like a very much kind of standard astronaut landing chamber. As they Hang on, does it look like standard astronaut? What's that thing called? The escape module? It does look a bit like, uh, well, it's the same sort of blunt body arrangement as like the Mercury, Gemini and Apollo spacecraft and now the Orion. A um, bit longer and thinner. Not quite yeah. such, not quite the same shape, but yeah, similar kind of principle. Yeah, excellent. So they find that, and uh, they find a huge writhing mass of writhing tentacles. And Cosmos, they find out, is still in one piece, but he can't transform. Did anybody notice the um, animation error with Spike and Bumblebee, where Spike kind of kept switching sides? One minute he's sitting on the left-hand side of Bumblebee, then he's sitting on the right-hand side of Bumblebee, and then he goes to get in Bumblebee on the right hand side and then as bumblebee pulls away spike is in the left hand side spike just <laughs> needs to make up his mind where he's sitting he's obviously not a safe driver because he must be removing the seat belt but he's not old enough to drive so you know <laughs> i don't start me on spike's age for heaven's sake <laughs> he's somewhere between 12 and 40 that's all i've got <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe they're optimising it for, like, the British audience, the American audience. So sometimes he's on the left and sometimes he's on the right. I don't know. I, did you see the steering wheel? Was that stuck in position or was that moving as well? Um, there is there is a scene of Spike sitting inside Bumblebee and he, he, Bumblebee, in that instance, is a left-hand drive. Left-hand drive, yes. Volkswagen, European. Yes. Although I don't know what side they drive on in Germany. Mm. On the right. On the right, uh, well, that doesn't help then. Spike calls Cosmos Cos, which I don't like. I don't think you should call him Cos. Cosmos is short enough. Uh, and they, they leave and they go off for help because they can't help him because he's covered in metal tentacles. And they say, we'll be back before you can fire a spark plug. And Cosmos says, sadly, where am I going to go? Which is not a Poor old Cosmos. <laughs> So they hightail it back to the Ark. Bumblebee and Spike arrive, but Bumblebee, he's got some spores on his back as well. So he's been got by these purple spores. They look a bit different from the ones that were on Cosmos, but uh, yeah, whatever. Ratchet gets a sample off him and Perceptor analyzes it. So the Autobots have too many scientists and too many medics and technicians. <laughs> so they all get their little bit to do. Uh, and they see on Teletran 1 that the plants have taken over the whole valley so they've really got their work cut out for them. The Autobots all head off. And ah, another thing that feels like a throwback, we get Laserbeak spying on them. And he spots them and reports back to Soundwave. We haven't had that for a long time, have that's, we? That's been a while since we had that, yeah. Yeah, normally they just kind of... I don't know, the plots lately have just been so bonkers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Laserbeak has been surplus to requirements. Yeah. Uh, Megatron is very pleased that the Autobots have the robotic, robotic insecticide. Robotic, robotic insecticide? insecticide? You don't sound as shocked now. I think you've got used to it. <laughs> so and Megatron says he might have use of it someday, and he's not fussed about the plants. Right, so his motivation changes in later scenes, because he's like, oh, yeah, robotic insecticide, we'll get that. And later he's like, oh, we're going to destroy it. So pff, that was a bit of a nuisance. Perceptor, analysing these spores, he realises that they are Morphobots. Morphobots? Morphobots. Yep. Morphobots. And he's telling Prowl for some reason, like Prowl's going to do anything, like Prowl ever does anything. 
But well, you haven't seen him for a while, so it was time for Prowl to be popped in. It's like, we need somebody to talk to Perceptor. How about Prowl? He'll do. Yeah, why not? It, it was a very scientific conversation. What do you make of it, Perceptor? Hmm? What? What do you make of it? Oh, it's Morphobots. Okay. <laughs> the Morphobots have left their planet in search of sustenance, and they can devour any robotic form. Okay, so it's not really clear what the Morphobots eat, because they're obviously multiplying in the valley. And you can't really multiply and increase your mass unless you devour something. Whatever they're up to, they're just up to it. They're just growing and expanding and they eat robot they eat robots. That's the basic premise. Well, in the valley it kind of makes some kind of sense in that by the time the Autobots get back there and see that the Morphbots have taken over, it is clearly not the jungle, the lush green jungle that Cosmos crashed in anymore. Um, so you could think you could think that they ate all the plant life there. Yeah. But what puzzles me is how they were growing on cosmos if they can eat any robotic form except the one that they needed to get to earth in the first place um because they clearly didn't eat cosmos and they're yeah. not eating cosmos even though they're expanding enormously <laughs> <laughs> they can eat any robotic form you might as well go well they've probably eaten cosmos then we might as well just stay at home <laughs> yeah cosmos is definitely a lost cause isn't he although oh, yeah. as it turns out they're still getting messages from him and stuff uh, so we cut to Thrust. Uh, it's definitely Thrust, isn't it? Is it Thrust? It the is Thrust, one. yes. The red one, yeah, okay. And Thrust finds hundreds of Insecticons in a field. Megatron orders him to tell the Insecticons to stay away from the Northeast Valley until the robotic insecticide is destroyed. And so, like, well, make up your mind, Megs. You know, what do you want to do? The Insecticons aren't pleased to see Thrust. They say, here comes Megatron's messenger boy. And Thrust tells them about the insecticide and they can't go to the valley until it's destroyed. So he tell, fills them in on what's going on. But Shrapnel doesn't believe him. Immediately you tell an Insecticon the absolute truth that if they go to Northeast Valley, it's probably dangerous for them. They are going to believe the absolute opposite. I really like that scene um, with Thrust in because the Insecticons and the Decepticons have spent so much time backstabbing each other that at the point when Megatron actually wants them to stay away and has a genuine message of, you know, it's dangerous over there, let us deal with that first, even if he was planning to take the insecticide himself and use it against the, uh, the Insecticons, you know, he has a he has a genuine message, Thrust delivers a genuine message, the Insecticons just don't believe it, so... Yes, know. very consistent characterisation. They're all dumb, I think, as well. It's kind yeah, of pretty consistent. much, yeah. Yeah, so they uh, they blast at Thrust, kick back, kicks him as well, and Thrust responds by firing missiles at them, and they say Thrust never could take a joke, sort of between them, <laughs> which is kind of cool. And these Excons decide that what they're going to do is they're going to go and visit Megatron. And the Decepticons, not the Insecticons, the Decepticons, they've gone to the valley, and they arrive there where all the plants are. Sarscream says that he's going to clear this overgrown spinach patch. Spinach? Have you seen spinach, Starscream? In a flash. <laughs> and, and we get the standard Megatron versus Starscream argument. How do you think this goes, Steve? This goes the usual way that all of these things go. So, so Starscream uses the fusion blasters to shoot at the Morphobots. The Morphobots kind of reflect the shot back at him, which knock Starscream on his hindquarters. Megatron and Soundwave have a bit of a giggle at this, and then Megatron threatens to beat him up. He's, he's literally he's holding him by his throat in that scene, um, and he basically chastises 
uh, Starscream. And when it all starts going wrong, he says, I will deal with you later. Yeah. The creepiest thing in that scene is Soundwave laughing. I know. He doesn't do it very often. Uh, but with that that vocal modulation that they use for him, it sounds so wrong. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm also just wondering if all of Megatron's lackeys are actually a bunch of backstabbing, disobedient gits. <laughs> They're kind of loyal. most of them are, seem to be loyal to Megatron because they're a bit scared of him, and he's the toughest leader. That seems to be the general thing, apart from yeah. Starscream, who thinks he should be in charge. And yeah, I'm sure everyone. Yeah. I think Soundwave is the only one. Soundwave and Shockwave are oh, Shockwave um, are the only ones I'm not aware of ever tried to usurp Megatron or um, operate. We, do do something without him knowing in the idea that it's going to benefit them. Hmm. At least in the cartoon, in the yes. comics, whole different, whole different. Oh story, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Sound, sound wave, uh, shockwave, and Megatron in the comics uh, spend most of the time leading rival fractions of Decepticons and exchanging troops occasionally. It's really bitter. Ooh. Yeah. It's very much a different world. But anyway, yes, but in our world, the Autobots are arriving as well. So they're all, basically everyone's in the valley now. And they're still getting, Cos- Cosmos is still alive. They're still getting his signal. Warpath offers to clear a zap path and bam through the, wowee, woohoo, jahoo. Did you like that bit? Don't, don't do that. Oh, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Warpath, just shush. <laughs> okay, well, uh, you'll be pleased to know that he's completely ineffectual at blasting them. Ironhide tries tries using uh, uh, Prime Tales. Ironhide uses liquids as weed killers, <laughs> but nothing they do works. Sharp, <laughs> and they all stand there with their gobs open like idiots because all of their attacks have failed. Uh, they're looking pretty stupid at this point. And then Blaster steps forward, <laughs> and he tries his music. He does and- indeed. And he does it in a very... He, he does something a bit unusual here. He does, rather. He he half transforms. Yeah! In that his top half becomes the tape deck, but his legs are still there, and he's a walking tape deck, blasting music. The same piece of rock music that we heard in, I think, Make Tracks, I think, was when we, we heard that one last. So cool. Uh, a much better piece than Jazz's generic rock that he usually plays. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, Blaster as a walking tape deck is is bizarre. Um, what was fun about this one was, of course, as soon as Blaster said, I'll try something, Prime said, no, 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 no music. Yeah. But it turns out that the music works. So, yeah. so we've got but, this thing again where the, the Autobots seem to have real trouble with music. They can't stand it. It really upsets them. I don't know. Blaster doesn't seem to be stupidly loud. It's just it's just they have this hatred of music. But yeah, they do a whole oh, Blaster. Walk towards them. Walk away. Walk towards them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, then, then he walks through and clears a path towards Cosmos with the Morphobots retreating from his apparently terrible music. Uh, yes. With um, Ironhide freezing them with his liquid nitrogen to hold them in place while they do this. Then, then we see um, Bumblebee with Blaster strapped to his roof. I mean, the last time I watched an episode with Blaster in was the one where the one that you and I did, Jason, and Blaster was at the rock concert with Spike and Carly. Carly, and he's the size of a normal tape deck. 
and yet in the scenes where Bumblebee is driving around with Blaster on the roof, he's almost as big as Bumblebee. Well, you think that's weird? Wait till you get when they when they find Cosmos and haul him out, and Cosmos in UFO mode is about the same size as Bumblebee, who was riding inside him with Spike earlier. Yep, <laughs> in a huge cavernous interior that had enough room for them to wander around, get thrown about a bit, and have a huge can of robot insecticide in. Maybe Cosmos's interior is dimensionally transcendental. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone is dimensionally transcendent. Everyone is. Everyone yeah. is, yes. There there are explanations for this. No one knows what they are. <laughs> a wizard did it. A wizard did it. Yeah, your favourite, the wizard. He's back again. So, <laughs> Not a dragon. Please, not a dragon. <laughs> so Optimus Prime does... Sometimes when you're a leader, sometimes when you're a great leader, all you've got to do is state the obvious course of action and make a quip. And that's all Prime does this episode. Optimus Prime yeah. says... Good work, Blaster. You've just gone platinum. Which is great. Oh, obviously you didn't find it remotely amusing, so I don't know why I even said it. <laughs> so they've rescued Cosmos, and they've got the robotic insecticide. Robotic, robotic insecticide? insecticide? Okay, that's the last time for that. Okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. Megatron, de- Megatron definitely wants to win this battle, because he sends Dirge, Ramjet, and Blitzwing to attack. Almost! The entire collection of sweeps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, Thrust is away, isn't it? Is it Dirge, Bl- uh, Ramjet and Blitzwing of the sweeps? Who yep. become the sweeps, yeah? There we go, yeah. Megatron says, Prime, you never learn, do you? But uh, uh, what? What does Prime never learn? Everything. <laughs> he, he, he never learns that most of Megatron's plans will fail... So, really, the Autobots don't need to do anything because everything that Megatron tries to tries to do will get, get completely messed up by Megatron himself or one of his disobedient lackeys. Yes, yes, actually, you're entirely correct. Uh, as this episode may bear out shortly. Let's see if that actually happens this week, okay? So Soundwave wields Megatron and blows up the insecticide. And this is actually... Devastating, because Spike says the entire human race are going to starve without that insecticide. Yeah, I mean, if they, I mean, they could have made a bit more of it as the episode progressed about how much damage the swarms of insecticons were actually doing. Because we got two scenes, I think, at the very beginning of the episode, and then we just saw the insecticons chewing on some grass. But yeah, it's you know the the, the insecticon clones are a real threat. So Optimus Prime has a plan, though, and he's got what I like to call the villain hyperbole trap. So he (laughs) marches straight up to Megatron and he says, you'll never get away with this, Megatron. And Megatron says, who's going to stop me, Prime? Which is like, don't say that. Don't don't say that. No, that's just that's just tempting fate. Asking for trouble. (laughs) Asking for trouble. Prime. I think Prime set him up there because Megatron immediately gets attacked by the plants Huge metal metal tentacle comes out and grabs him by the leg and starts swinging him around. (laughs) And he tells the uh, the jets not to just stand there with your cockpits open. (laughs) (laughs) That was that's a lovely that's a nice chunky bit of dialogue there. I like that one. (laughs) So the tentacles have grabbed Megatron. Tracks blasts Megatron with his dark gun. Like he gets in there, he says, "I'm going to have a go," and that seems to really upset Prime. 
Prime says Megatron is mine. It's like he wants to fight Megatron. Tracks get out of the way, even though you're doing a really good job. I don't know. It's not that it think... matters because he zaps him yeah. with the dark gun, and then the very next shot we see is Megatron standing up, apparently unharmed. So <laughs> the dark gun was very ineffective. At this point, the Insecticons arrive, and they are very hungry. They go straight past the Decepticons and head for the delicious-looking Morphobots. Yeah, and the Morphobots find the Insecticons delicious. <laughs> it's the snack that bites back. <laughs> now, a question about this Insecticon clone army is that we saw the Insecticon clone army in their very first episode, and how did they deal with the clones in that episode? Oh, heavens. Uh, lightning. Was it uh, Lightning. Trailbreaker used his force field to isolate shrapnel from the clones because he was transmitting a control signal. And at which point they all disintegrated and fell apart. For some reason, Trailbreaker is nowhere to be seen in this episode. Literally, just send out Trailbreaker every time. Yeah, uh, that would have solved the problem. But as it is, the Morphobots have chewed up all the Insecticon clones, except for the three Insecticons. Well, kind of sensibly, they stay at the back, don't they? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're not idiots, uh, or, or maybe they were just last there. But anyway, so this giant Insecticon army has all been gobbled up, and of course that leads to a Decepticon retreat at twenty minutes and thirty seven seconds. Yes, once again the Insecticons clear out, and Megatron loses all sense of perspective and decides he wants to chase after them because he's not happy with them. Which is pretty much how all the Insecticon related episodes end. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very fractious relationship. Bumblebee points out that the Morphobots have actually saved the day. Do And Spike says they're heroes. Do we agree with that assessment? Yes and no. Sort of. Yes, they've chewed up the Insecticon clone army. Great. Although, what is stopping the Insecticons making more? I have no idea. But they are also still a massive, massive threat. With absolutely no clue how to deal with this massive threat, we just cut to the very next scene, which is, oh, we've rounded them all up and shoved them on a rocket. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and sent them off into outer space. We'll sort it out between scenes, yeah. So they're all going yeah. up in, into a rocket. But, uh, but they haven't rounded them all up, obviously. No. No, they forgot the ones that Perceptor was analysing because they've become rather large and difficult to handle. And yeah. we end with a gag of poor old Perceptor hoping that there's another rocket available really soon. Yes, because he's absolutely covered in Morphobots and getting massacred because they eat robots and he's probably going to die. That's yeah. it. <laughs> That's the end of Perceptor. He's been chewed up by Morphobots while the Autobots were all out. That's... Good. That only, leaves, that only leaves the Autobots with eight scientists. <laughs> what are they going to do? There we go. So at this point, I'm mainly feeling sad for Cosmos. Um, I mean, he's just had, like, he had a rotten time in the God Gambit. He had a rotten time in every episode we've seen him in. And this, this he's just having a really rotten time, isn't he? I'm, he it's is. tragic, really. Yeah. Poor old Cosmos. Poor old Cosmos. Yeah. So, Steve Walker, what, who is your man of the match? I'm actually stuck between Blaster um, for the music saving the day and the Morphobots for destroying the the, the Insecticon clone army. Ah, choose, choose. Come up with a, a, just a spurious reason and choose. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the Morphobots for destroying the entire the Insecticon clone army because they've achieved something that the Autobots can't do. Yeah, so that's one big metal tentacle up for the Morphobots. Yep, won a battle. 
They won a battle. Yes, yes, they destroyed the Insecticons. Well done. They are better than Smokescreen, Huffer, Inferno, Trax, and the other guy who was there. <laughs> but, but not Trailbreaker. <laughs> not Trailbreaker, no. <laughs> uh, I went with Blaster for the music and yeah. for just doing it, even though Prime was saying, no, don't play any music. And it's like, oh, come on, this is going to work. So, yeah, Blaster for me, definitely, and allowing them to cut a path through to rescue Cosmos. Yeah, he is the heroic Autobot who helped save the day. So I'd totally go with that. But Plus he does something really weird and turns into a walking tape deck. So, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids will be trying that out at home with their blaster toys. Except they won't be in the UK, will they? No, they won't be in the UK. No, they will be in blaster. I'll be in blaster. Well, I, you wouldn't have in 1985 because you couldn't get a blaster in the UK unless you've got a mate who lives in America. Uh, we're not bitter <laughs> uh, anyway my man of the match is Skids because well it's his only chance <laughs> it's just about, I mean he, he, he only gets one line and that line is robotic insecticide exactly <laughs> um, and he doesn't you know he stays back at the base doesn't have to deal with any problems it's all good it's all good it's good to be Skids Did we enjoy this episode? Steve, is this is this a bit of a classic or is this just one of those? I I, I it it it's just above. I mean I I I've just I just about got over a Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court and, and I put that one behind me. <laughs> and then this. Um It's not as bad. It's got some really good moments. There are some lovely um, animation sequences in this episode. Storyline-wise, it's it's definitely a kids' cartoon. This episode. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I thought there was a lot to enjoy in it, but I think the ending was kind of fumbled. I think there should have been more with the insecticons and the plants and the insecticide. It yeah. didn't all dovetail nicely. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of like for blah, me. Blah, blah. The- the Morphobots presented a for for a very short time. The Morphobots presented a very real threat, and they could have done one of those lovely little moments where we get the Autobots and the Decepticons go into a, a, a temporary alignment to resolve the issue, and then once the issue is resolved, it's like every man for himself once again. Um, yeah, I was kind of thinking that's what they could have done, but yeah. that's clearly could, not what they felt. Could have been more fun with the Morphobots, I think. Yeah, Jason. Yeah. yeah, same. I think it was very nicely animated. The quality of animation on this one was was I thought was particularly good. Um, but the plot just doesn't really hang together. They the Morphobots can eat robots, except they don't. Um. We've got a robotic insecticide which gets blasted and destroyed anyway, and then massive coincidence that just at the right moment a huge number of insecticons gets chewed up by the morphobots, and the problem that the robotic insecticide was supposed to solve gets solved by other means anyway. Yeah. And it's just kind of a mess. And then at the end of all that, they have realized that whoever the writers have realized that they have no credible way of dealing with the morphobots. So we just cut to a scene where it's they've been rounded up somehow. It's yeah. like after all that effort it took you to get through them just to retrieve Cosmos, 
how exactly did that handful of Autobots round them all up? And where did that rocket come from? <laughs> I, and it, in all that time, did no one go back and check on Perceptor? <laughs> I, Sean Berger. <laughs> that's oh, where that, the rocket came from. That's his, uh, that's his penance. He's making rockets on call for the Autobots whenever they need one. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my continuity answer. So at least I got one of them. But they could have easily struck a two-parter out of this because we could have had a whole episode of fun with the Morphobots getting everywhere and fighting the spores and all that kind of stuff. That could have been pretty cool. But uh, yes, it could anyway. have been. And and we we do start with the most one of the most ludicrous premises. I mean, Transformers is a toy. It's a Transformers is a cartoon about transforming robots from outer space. You know, it has a pretty ludicrous premise to begin with. And yet somehow a giant aerosol can of robotic insecticide seems even more ludicrous. And it just it doesn't it doesn't work for me, really, this episode no. in that sense. Um, and in terms of play opportunity, actually, this is you get your mum's insecticide out and you're playing with it with your Transformers. That's not good. You don't want kids <laughs> doing that, do not you? Good. No, no. Anyway, I think we should do another episode because that's enough of that one. And the next episode is a secret. So the second episode up tonight is the secret of... Omega Supreme. Oh, yeah, by David Wise. So this is... This is a very exciting sounding episode. It could be a bit of a winner. So say you haven't seen this episode. What might Omega Supreme's secret be, Steve? It could be an origin story. It could be the fact that he's got a very dark and murky past and that he was actually um, in the, during the war on Cybertron four million years ago, he was secretly a Decepticon hitman. Um, He was an Energon smuggler. As a mercenary playing both sides against each other. These are really great secrets. Jason, have you got one? Fantastic secrets. No, I, well, no, I, I think he just secretly goes to all the rocket bases in, on Earth and takes selfies of himself in the, uh, in the launch gantries. <laughs> Here I am at Cape Canaveral, guys. Like <laughs> um, a oh. cosmodrome. <laughs> Yeah, Omega Supreme selfie collection has got to be something to <laughs> behold. Um, <laughs> Omega Supreme's name is an anagram of pre-game mouse. That's pre-game mouse is the best anagram I could come up with. Sarcasm, not appreciated. So this episode starts off with a rocket flying up from the ocean into space. And it's it's not Omega Supreme. Just like to say that first. It's not Omega. It's just a different looking, silly kind of rocket with bits on it. Jason, could you rate this rocket in terms of rockets? Ah, uh, it, it, it's rockety. <laughs> um, it's not. It's uh, it's not too bad actually. It's okay. long. It's thin. It's got stabilizing fins. It's shot up from underwater. So, is it? I like the ambiguity at the beginning. Is it a human rocket? Yeah. Because we do shoot things from underwater, or is it from the other thing that we know is underwater? <laughs> <laughs> It could have come from the Decepticons undersea base. So, hey, oh, yeah. Atlantis. <laughs> is it the Atlantis. return of the Atlanteans? Yeah. Oh, return God. of Sub-Atlantica. Oh, dear God, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's not bad. Of course, the one thing that gives it away as a, a very non-human rocket is that it's not staged. 
the whole yeah. thing ends up in space intact doesn't drop bits of itself on the way up so yeah so it lands on a very silly looking asteroid it's a it's sort of like a flat surface with lots of uh, it's like this chunk of rock that's been lifted out of another chunk of rock kind of look i don't know how would you describe it switching universes for a moment when i saw this it reminded me of something from the warhammer 40,000 universe um it's a thing called the rock <laughs> and the rock is all that's left of the um home world of the dark angels chapter of oh. space marines and it is pretty much um it, it is pretty much looks the same as this asteroid does in this episode um so that that's what it struck me as first of all in fact my my, my 40k player brain just kicked in and went "Ooh, crossover <laughs> no because 40k wasn't a thing back then Oh, no. oh, now it was just cut. It's 1985, so it was just getting kicking off then. It wasn't huge, but it was definitely it wasn't huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, so, it was, it was just orcs and space marines, and that was it. <laughs> uh, well, yes, well, Tau and Tyranids, you know, what are they worth? So, anyway, <laughs> so this, um, the rocket lands on the asteroid, starts flying the asteroid towards Earth. That's the main point, and then a door opens in the side of the rocket, and out come six or five green guys who we know very well. It's the Constructicons. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Typically five or six of them. And Hook Something is in four. charge this week. There's four. It's not four. <laughs> uh, Hook is in charge this week and he reports back to Megatron. And Megatron is standing next to, and this is like an animation error which just makes me want to scream. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's one of the most egregious animation errors in the whole history of animation errors. Steve, did you Me spot this? Please tell me you spotted this one, Steve. No, <laughs> Megatron is standing next to Sideswipe. Right well, I'm there. I'm going to have to watch this episode again now. <laughs> Just for that shot, he is standing next to Sideswipe. Wow. Right, it turns into sound wave in every subsequent shot. But yeah, at the, right at the very beginning, I looked at it and I went back. I went, who the hell is that? Because I thought it looks like Sideswipe. Is it a new Decepticon of some description? No, it's definitely Sideswipe. It's got all Sideswipes bit. And it was just like, Sideswipe, what are you doing? <laughs> what That's are you so doing? I mean, this could have been a, this could have been a, a new plot development that we like, has Sideswipe defected? Nope, he's not actually there. It's just an animation cock up. Yeah, it's far more likely he just, like, he looks around and says, oh, uh-oh, I'm in the wrong base. Uh, <laughs> I better get out of here. <laughs> uh, anyway, so getting over Sideswipe being standing next to Megatron, Astro Train is ordered to depart for the asteroid in one hour, and Megatron reminds him to go in space shuttle mode. Thank you, Megatron. <laughs> when when he gives Astro Train that instruction, Astro Train kind of stands there for a quite a long time and then says yes i will stand by in emergency mode or something along those lines but his response is somewhat delayed i wish we'd seen him try and take off in train mode because you know <laughs> megatron specifying space shuttle mode it's like oh i wanted to try in train mode <laughs> i've got jet boosters on the back of my train it could be done it could be it done could. Anyway. yeah Soundwave has detected energy-rich ore in the asteroid. Oh, really? Is it energy-rich ore? Oh, what a surprise. 
What a surprise. What yeah. a surprise. And why is he telling him this now? Because surely by the he's built a rocket and sent the Constructicons up to move the asteroid into Earth orbit. One assumes that he already knows there's something energy rich up there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, well done, Soundwave. First with the news. <laughs> yeah, Soundwave's just sucking up to the boss again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cosmos is also heading up to the asteroid. Oh, Yay, Cosmos. Cosmos. Yeah. <laughs> And he has he has another miserable episode because like he keeps on going <laughs> to this he keeps on going to this asteroid and every time he's going to this asteroid he comes back to Prime Prime says Cosmos head back up there and get me some solid information very well Optimus Prime he gets sent up and down about three times doesn't yeah. he Prime yeah. really got out of bed on the wrong side this <laughs> episode he is he is grumpier than his usual self. He yeah. really, he 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 really doesn't interact well with any of his team. Yeah, certainly not with Power Glide. As Power Glide's there, and Prime says he's going off to talk to the only other Autobot who can fly into outer space. And he drives off on his own to some woods, and we've worked out who the only other Autobot who can fly into outer space is. Yeah, it's Omega Supreme. But somehow, and maybe this is Omega Supreme's secret, somehow Omega Supreme, the hulking great beast of a robot who transforms into a massive rocket with a tank and a track base thing that towers over everybody, Prime can't find him. (laughs) He walks in the forest and goes, Omega Supreme, Omega, it's Prime, where are you? Oh, I don't know where you are. He's huge. How can you not know where he is? <laughs> well, ah, maybe he's hiding in the Golden Lagoon again. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> that sort of shallow puddle. That, uh... But no, I, okay, I've been looking this up. It's very important to establish that Omega Supreme's height, according to the official height chart, is 18 metres. It's only 18 metres, which is a lot, but it's not like, it's not like 200 metres or you know, 5,000 metres. He's not stupidly tall. He's just very big. What, about 50 feet or something like that? Yeah. yeah. So I I, yeah. I I don't actually have a reference for how big 18 metres is, but it's probably as large as a, a redwood tree in America, I would say. Does that sound fair? Sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, there we go. Prime explains what's going on to Omega Supreme, but Omega Supreme, he's not interested. He's saying, yeah, leave, leave me for special occasions. You know, is this a special episode? I don't know. Uh, but then Prime mentions the Constructicons, and Omega gets very excited. The Constructicons are mining. Constructicons, Constructicons, enemies, enemies, die. And this, like, this, like, really worries Prime because it's like, why are you so? What, what is it with you and the Constructicons anyway? Why are you so up against them? And he asks, what is the vendetta? between Omega and the Constructicons. Yeah, and and Omega Supreme says that it's private, personal, kind of hinting to Prime that actually, mate, don't really want to talk about it. And then Prime practically orders him to disclose what is clearly some form of, of, of very traumatic event in Omega Supreme's life. Yet another instance of Prime being... A, a git, a bit of a crap, yeah, a git, and a bit of a crap leader. 
not only does he want Omega Supreme to recount the trauma, but it's like, can you please talk properly while you do it this time round? <laughs> talk like an Autobot. <laughs> I'm not having you doing a whole flashback and story sequence going, this happened a long time ago. I wish that they'd done that because, I mean, I mean the the... The out-of-universe explanation for it is that they hadn't settled on Omega Supreme's speech pattern when this episode was first written, and they decided it was a good one and worth pursuing, but they couldn't figure out a way to make it work with Omega Supreme talking in his clipped, you know... Results same, information unnecessary, etc. kind of way. So they just shoved in a line where Prime says, can you talk properly? And Omega goes, yeah, all right, just this once. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a shame because I would have loved to have seen them try and make him narrate the story in his usual manner. I think that would have been fantastic. Yeah. Okay, well, let's do it. No, let's not do it. It's far too hard. I I was just like, I was just going to go through that. Okay, Cybertron, the past. (laughs) Medic doctor, rubbish looking, examining (laughs) Omega. Uh, no, it doesn't work, does it? No. So there's a rubbish-looking medic doctor. He's really, really awful, skinny, with a cheap-looking face. He looks like the stabby robot from Futurama. You know the one? Yeah. <laughs> Clamps. Clamps. Yeah. Clamps. <laughs> Clamp it, yeah. And Robert- Roberto. Yeah. Oh, Roberto. Yeah, yes, Roberto. Roberto. Yeah. Yeah, so. I did, when I saw the, 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 the medic, I did sort of wonder, what the hell kind of vehicle does he turn into? He's a GoBot, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. GoBot. <laughs> so I'm just GoBot prejudice now. At least he's not square-eyed and buck-toothed. <laughs> <laughs> We've had worse GoBots. Yeah. So Omega Supreme was one of the Guardian robots. Ah, this is something we didn't know. Yes. He was one of the Guardians, whatever that is. And his job was to defend Crystal City which looks like a solitary building rather than an actual city. It, 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 uh, it, it looks like a lot of buildings all clumped together, but not enough to make a city. Maybe some fancy shopping centre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't sound so great if he says, I was one of the Guardian robots assigned to guard Crystal Shopping Centre on Cybertron. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I was going to go with Crystal Palace. No, <laughs> oh, <laughs> missed that one. Yeah, could have done that one. But yeah, why doesn't Prime... Why is Prime surprised by this? Why doesn't Prime know anything about the history of this hulking great robot that works for his team? Because up until now, he's never really shown an interest and he's trying to garner... Omega Supreme's favour by feigning an interest in his history. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what your past is. You're big. You'll do. Yeah. <laughs> CV unnecessary. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, Crystal One City. Job and I held it down for four and a half million years. <laughs> Yeah, and you had one job. Okay, let's see how that goes. Crystal City (laughs) is the most magnificent city in the universe. Yes. So he was chums on Cybertron with the Constructicons. Constructicons were his good friends, okay? No, 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 I'm not going to let you say anything. Don't say... Okay, you say it, say it, go on. (laughs) What is going on? (laughs) So, the Constructicons... Very sociable with Omega Supreme. Very chatty. Very pally. Clearly not the evil, maniacal 
things that we know and loathe. Love. Loathe. Okay. You have to dislike them. They're bad guys. Okay. Um, so it's clear at this point that the Constructicons are not Decepticons. But they have... Don't they have They've the badges? They've got the Decepticon icon on their, on, on their chassis, blazers, jackets, yeah. chests. Is, is this a, a portent? Did Omega Supreme not spot that? I, mean, I suppose being that tall, they're small. Maybe he didn't notice. Yeah. But it's like, a bit confusing because, as I said, we, the, the Constructicon's origins are shrouded in mystery because when we first saw them, Megatron said they built them on Earth. Yep. And indeed, in oh, I can't remember what the episode was called now. Heavy Metal War. No, that was the no, the one with the uh, Cybertonium deficiency. Oh, that was uh, the desertion of the Dinobots. Desertion of the Dinobots. The Constructicons didn't seem overly affected by this, which was kind of implied that they were made on Earth. Uh, and then in the Master Builders. They decided that they knew Grapple back on Cybertron millions of years ago. And now it turns out they knew Omega Supreme millions of years ago. And they built Crystal City. And they were not Decepticons, but for some reason were still called the Constructicons. And all have Earth modes at this point. Because we see them turn into Earth construction vehicles. Uh, I, yeah, when you say shrouded in mystery, I think there's, that's a very polite way to put it, really. Totally cocked up. <laughs> yeah, that's much more accurate. Uh, I, I would call into play here the unreliable narrator. <laughs> yes, that that would be the the device that I would go with, um, and the and the we haven't got the animation budget to make them look any different, and we want the kids to recognise them, so let's just yeah. make them as they are. Uh, but I have to say that one thing I will say in favour of this episode is that this origin story makes a lot more sense than Megatron building six new Decepticons on Earth in some caves. No. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it, it gives them a bit more weight and heft and history as well. Megatron also, but he has built on Cybertron back in time, so this is still the flashback, Megatron has built the Robo Smasher. Oh, it's a big silver spider-like machine with mechanical tentacles. We're back with the tentacles again. Do we, do we like the Robo Smasher? Is it a cool thing or is it just a piece of rubbish? No, I think it's a piece of rubbish and I think it undermines the entire premise of this episode, frankly. What do you think, Steve? It's a stupid name. <laughs> and that, yes. Yeah, it, 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 Robo Smasher. What does that imply? Smashing. Yes. That it what does. doesn't it do? Really smash. <laughs> Yes, it's a robo-reprogrammer. It is a robo-reprogrammer. So there's this blue and red Autobot with a beard and big spikes coming out of the side of his head who no one ever sees again and hasn't had a toy. And he gets robo-smashed. He's the first one to be robo-smashed by the robo-smasher. And that turns him into a Decepticon. Yeah, I really, really don't like that. Yeah. I think it's up until now and in virtually every other continuity the decepticons have fought the autobots because of their ideology and because megatron is a convincing orator and because they believe that they are destined to be supreme now it turns out that megatron is just apparently reprogramming people for obedience which kind of undermines him a bit i think first of all the 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 unnamed autobot that he changes i kind of wonder if it was just they they'd use some animation cells for Alpha Trion and slightly 
redrawn them a bit because there was a hint of Alpha Trion in that character. Um, Did anybody else find the way that that character spoke after he'd been reprogrammed a little bit? It was almost carry-on-ish. It was very sort of, oh, Megatron, I am yours to command. (laughs) Has Megatron reprogrammed this guy to fight with the Decepticons or as some sort of plaything? Because it's just really... I I found the whole way that character spoke after being robo-smashed just a little bit weird. Yeah, it, it 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 was a bit weird, but I th- I think in his defence, we never see him again. He's probably dead. So. <laughs> <laughs> we can but hope. Instruct me, Megatron. I exist only to serve you. Yeah, uh, Omega Supreme does a brilliant bit of unreliable narratoring when he says, "What happened next was not known to me for several hours." Oh yeah, mm, chinny chin. Uh, which is basically the Constructicons, they go into the Crystal Palace and they get robo-smashed. Later, so much later, this is several hours later, later the Constructicons, they go to see Omega Supreme guarding the Crystal City and they tell him, oh, Omega Supreme, the capital city's being attacked, you better nip over there because you're quite useful in a fight, really. And Omega Supreme goes over to the capital city and, oh dear. The Constructicons tell Omega Supreme that the... Central City is being attacked. Omega Supreme says, best go and sort it out. Then obviously he's got no reason to doubt what the Constructicons are telling him. The way he moves, it doesn't carry any sense of urgency. He sort of just... Saunters off, doesn't he? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that uh, was that was an odd one. He's, he's he wanders off. He walks. He spends a lot of time walking and running when he could turn into a rocket and be there in yep, you know, seconds. Um, yeah, and and, we and but, yeah, earlier on we saw he's a, he was programmed to guard Crystal City. Guarding Crystal City apparently means turning into base mode just outside it. Yeah, and driving <laughs> and around his tracks and driving around his tank around his tracks. Ah, oh, for a million years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and anyone who's had the toy of Omega Supreme knows exactly how fast he walks. It's not very fast <laughs> not at very all. Not very fast at we'll all. Talk. I mean, we'll as talk. a toy, he is fantastic. Um, but yeah, he's fun. He's he's great fun. Um, Age, ages ago, I was watching uh, some Instagram videos of somebody who was racing Omega Supreme and Trypticon and seeing which one <laughs> went faster. And you could just see him lying. And it's exactly the sort of thing you'd do as a kid if you had both of them. You'd definitely get them both to race. Uh, it was a very long video. Uh, Omega Supreme goes back to the Crystal Palace, kadunk, kadunk, and he finds that it's been destroyed, and he goes, no! And he's very upset that the Constructicons have betrayed him, so he, he runs off, uh, runs off, to find the Constructicons, and he swears revenge. Yes, yes, he does actually run this time. Yeah, he makes an effort now. Yeah. Now it's too late. Uh, so the beautiful Crystal City has been destroyed. And he tracks the Constructicons for weeks. And, like, his method for attacking the Constructicons and getting his own back for his revenge is is pretty cool. He shoved them in a big hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he gets them all in this big hole, and then he tries to reprogram them. And, and he, he, he appears to have a good success, because they're all saying, I feel sane again. So he's reprogrammed all the Constructicons, and they're all back to normal. This is for your own good. I'm going to reprogram you back to your own self if it's the last thing I do. 
But of course, it doesn't quite work out like that because the biggest betrayal was yet to come. He heads back with the Constructicons, but they run into the Robo Smasher. And suddenly the Constructicons merge into... Devastator. Yeah, Megatron has apparently given them a new mode. Devastator turns up, he has a big punch up with Omega Supreme and Omega Supreme's going to get Robo Smash. The Robo Smasher jumps on his head and starts trying to reprogram him. It's not good. No. But, you know, Omega manages to escape being properly Robo Smashed. But it left him changed. Yeah, it changed his speech patterns forever. And also, he only feels hate for the Constructicons. But, and that's basically the end of his story. So he's uh, the Constructicons have got away. Omega Supreme's been changed forever. And he's, he's just uh, hell-bent on revenge. My other fan theory at this point, of course, is that Optimus Prime implanted those memories into Omega Supreme to make him a more effective fighter. Oh, that's evil. Evil. That's really, Opt- really dark. Evil. <laughs> Optimus Prime would never do such a disgusting, horrible, <laughs> evil thing to his cor- comrades. Well, maybe the Michael Bay version would. Yeah, I was, um, yeah, was going to say, if, if, if we were doing this in the Michael Bay Transformers universe, then yes, absolutely, Prime would have done that. Yeah. But then Omega says he's tracked the Constructicons for millions of years until he found out that they'd come to Earth, and then he decided to not follow them and join the Autobots instead, somehow. (laughs) And again, so millions of years after they arrived on Earth, Omega Supreme pops up next to the Autobot base and Prime just says, oh, hello, come to join us. Okay, good. (laughs) Not... What have you? Where have you come from? What have you been doing for the last four and a half million years? <laughs> Nothing like that. And where was Omega Supreme when uh, Chip made Devastator an Autobot? I'd like you to meet the continuity advisor for the Transformers series. It's a very large hammer. Bang, bang, <laughs> bang. It will work. It will work. <laughs> anyway, back in the present day, Astro Train is finally off into space after waiting one hour or ten minutes as the episode flies. And yes, he is in space shuttle mode. He obeyed Megatron's commands. Well done, Astro Train. And he goes up to the asteroid, and, and the Constructicons all start loading up this uh, energy-rich ore onto Astro Train. And Cosmos goes up as well, because he's on his spying mission. And he nicks a little bit of ore from Astro Train's, uh, whatever it is, cargo container. Yeah, but I, there's a couple of odd bits here, aren't there, Steve? There is. Um, it's all going well, apart from the fact that when Astro Train lands on the asteroid in the vacuum of space, you hear the tyre squeaking. Um, so Cosmos comes along, picks up a sample of the ore, and then for some reason he kind of fumbles, it drops it, and then trips over, lands on the ground Straight in front of Astro Train, who doesn't react at all. There is <laughs> nothing that brings any sort of dilemma or urgency to that sequence of events. It's just Cosmos, you're a bit of a klutz. <laughs> Fortunately, nobody noticed. That sequence really didn't need to be there. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you think, Jason? Was that uh, fair for Cosmos? Yeah, that was just, yeah, poor old Cosmos. It's like, we've, we've got a subplot of Cosmos having a bad day, so let's just chuck in a bit extra. And yeah, why didn't Astro Train notice this bright green little dude? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's just having a nap, isn't he? 
Apparently so, yeah. It's, Cosmos. It's very bizarre. Cosmos flies back to Earth and he shows Prime the hard information, which is a rock. Did you get it? Uh, no, you don't, obviously. Got it. <laughs> oh, good. You got it. Excellent. Someone got it. I didn't. Prime wants to know where the Prime now wants to know where the refinery is. They bring this all back. They've got to be refining it somewhere. Where's the refinery, Cosmos? Off you hop. I'm not doing anything till you find this refinery. It's <laughs> so is, horrible. Is, is Cosmos pissed off Optimus Prime in an earlier episode somewhere, and just like Prime is now sending him in all these duff missions. It's like, yeah, I know we've got a whole load of other people that I could send with you. And, you know, we have we have some flying Autobots and some driving Autobots who could look for a refinery on Earth, no problem. But I'm going to send you. Yeah. Um, he's, he's trying to toughen Cosmos up, isn't he? He's trying to improve his character by just being horrible to him. I think well, that's always he, a terrible he, idea. The moment his, his space force consists of the hulking great Omega Supreme and the tiny little Cosmos. So, you know, it's like... Look, and you know, power, well, yeah. Power you're as good as Omega Cosmos, any. honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm relying on you. Yeah, fine. You go and do that. Yeah, great. Omega, can you sort that out while he's... <laughs> Get back up there so you can track his return course to Earth. Again? This ore is useless until it's processed. I want to know where the refinery is hidden. If you insist. Prime orders Perceptor to carry out a spectrographic analysis of the ore, and Teletran 1 tells them all that it's high in energy, probably before Perceptor actually does anything. So Teletran 1 tells them it's high in energy anyway. Right, okay, this is it. We've got to do something. He tells Omega Supreme to go and knock the Constructicons off the asteroid and blow it out of the sky. How did Omega yes. Supreme react to this? Basically, Omega Supreme went, Ray! <laughs> Vengeance mine! Oh, yes. He's very excited. But while he's on his way, Teletran 1 gives him another message, and he says that the ore is alive. It has an organic component. Uh-oh. That Two things that things. are not the same. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, okay. <laughs> it, okay, it has a, an organic component and it's alive. Is that better? Yeah, apparently okay. so. Um, but yeah, there's something alive in that asteroid. So Prime tries to tell Omega not to harm the asteroid, but Omega is just only interested in vengeance at this point. He's we 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 get the lovely trope here of the rogue warrior um, knight who is sort of focused and hell-bent on revenge and they want their revenge at all costs. So they get sent off that get, to, to do something that gives them the opportunity of getting their revenge. And what do they do? They either turn their radio off or don't listen to their senior officer but they do something that means that that's it they are now focused on what they have been told initially to do yeah they're not going to listen to further advice they are 100 yeah. percent dedicated to the mission in fact i think you do actually see omega supreme turn off the communicator in this in in, in this sequence yeah yeah, it is. Uh, so, yeah, Prime uh, tries to radio him, but he, uh, Omega Supreme turns off the radio. Yeah. Meanwhile, 10 miles north of Mount McKinsey, Megatron is trying to see how much energy he can squeeze out of the ore. But when he does, so he's standing there, he's got a machine, he's got sound <laughs> no, no, waves, no, 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 He's trying to see how much energy juice he can squeeze out of Did the ore. Megatron the line. Energy juice. How much energy juice can we squeeze out of this ore? It's like, oh, good grief, really? <laughs> 
Okay, so he's it, presumably he's got a giant lemon squeezer or whatever <laughs> to squeeze the knows. energy juice out of the ore. And whatever he does, it doesn't work because the ore just turns to ash. And it's like, oh, okay, that's not very good. And he sees something that makes him go, what? What? Well, we'll, then... find out what, we'll find out what that is in a minute because there's a big punch-up going on on the asteroid, which is the kind of thing we love. Omega Supreme versus the Constructicons. How's this battle going? It's a bit of a standoff, really. Yep. I mean, you've got six little dudes and one big dude, and they, they fire a few barbs at each other first. Um, the Constructicons telling the Robo Smasher did a... I can't remember the exact line, but basically he's a waste of a good robot. Omega Supreme tries to punch one of the Constructicons, but misses. And then he accidentally, because his punch is so tough, he accidentally chops the asteroid in half. And he didn't want to do that. I mean, of all the things he wanted to do, he didn't want to do that because it releases a, obviously it releases a giant metallic praying mantis with wings. Just sort of flies out from the middle of the asteroid. And this praying mantis is as big as Omega Supreme. It's a huge, monstrous alien. And it immediately flies off towards Earth. I'm going to call it a manticon because it doesn't get a name. I've decided that's what I'm going to call it. You, you, you okay with that? Fine by me. I can live Good with that. The name is any. Omega Supreme's not bothered, though, because he just wants to kill Constructicons. Creature yep. lives, you die. Back on Earth, Cosmos tells Prime that the refinery is 10 miles north of Mount Mackenzie. But there's bad news because they've detected this creature heading towards Earth. It's heading to San Francisco, the Bay Area. Uh, why is it heading to San Francisco in particular? Any ideas? Because the animators figure that this is a real location that they haven't been to yet and they all want to draw the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh, we love the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. But that's not his first port of call. His first port of call is the Transamerica Pyramid. We'll get there in a minute because Teletran 1 points out that they will need Omega Supreme. He is the only one who can return the Manticon to its asteroid and sort it out because the asteroid is actually its food. Massive plot device. Yes. So <laughs> a crack squad of Autobots is sent to defend San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I, well, actually, I say that, but actually it could, that could refer to any Autobots. You've got Powerglide, Ironhide, Beachcomber and Trax. Oh, no. And Smokescreen's in there somewhere. <laughs> Why do I keep missing Smokescreen? I missed him in Child's Play. Smokescreen. Last week. <laughs> hey, of course, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, in, in Child's Play, he kept disappearing anyway. Yeah, yeah. So the creature, the Manticon, is, is perched on the Transamerica Pyramid. Trax says, keep San Francisco clean, because he loves San Francisco for some reason. And Smokescreen ejects a huge cloud of gas, which just doesn't help anyone. It has no effect. <laughs> Why have you done that, Smokescreen? Uh, Trax asks how long it will be before the creature eats San Francisco and Ironhide face palms rather amusingly. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and then for some reason, when the Arctic with the Constructicons, they've, they've had enough of being hounded by Omega Supreme. So, what, they, what are you going to do in that situation? Well, I think they're going to merge into Devastator. Yeah. So, it's Omega Supreme versus Devastator. And which Omega. Is yeah. Something that we've wanted to see ever since Omega Supreme showed up with the, you know, they've suddenly got this huge robot on their side, on the Autobot side. When are we going to see it face off against the huge robot that the Decepticons have? Well, yeah. now, apparently. And boy, is it disappointing. Yeah. It's a huge battle that rages on for almost 15 minutes. Oh, wait, no. 
Seconds, I think you seconds. mean. Seconds. seconds. Omega Supreme, bent on revenge, and also with one hand looking at the time left in the episode, buries Devastator in rock and nearly, he's like, and he's going to destroy him. He's going to destroy him. And he's blasting at Devastator. And this is it. This is it for the Constructicons. There's no way out for them, except what happens. Prime comes to the rescue. <laughs> yes. Optimus Prime rescues Devastator. Did you find that satisfying, Steve? I think Prime has got some bearings to face off with Omega Supreme like that. Um, Prime sent a chap that he knows he's helping on revenge against the Constructicons and then gets cross because Omega is doing the one thing he's waited millions of years to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's a bit where... Um, Omega Supreme's gun arm kind of comes down towards Prime, and I was I was half expecting him to just bat him across the forest. This this is um, I actually quite like this confrontation with Optimus Prime because Prime convinces Omega that you know San Francisco is in danger. If if Omega doesn't stop what he's doing and go and save the city, basically the same thing that happened on Cybertron will happen again. Yeah, um, Omega is leaving his post, basically. And I think this is one of those rare occasions when Prime actually demonstrates some proper leadership in that he is basically telling this guy, some things are more important than revenge. Yeah. You've got, you've got duties to do, get, get to it. And if, you know, if you don't, and he does kind of appeal to Omega's sense of, I guess it's shame and betrayal about what happened on Cybertron by saying, you know, if, if you don't stop what you're doing and go and save the city, another city is going to be destroyed because you left it, basically. Which is, on the one hand, yeah, great. On the other hand, pretty mean, given what Omega Supreme has been through, but, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's a tough life when you're an absolutely gigantic robot. Uh, the Constructicons escape, and they head off to join Megatron 10 miles north of Mount McKinsey. Ten miles north of Mount McKenzie. Meanwhile, the Manticon is attacking... Is it, the Manticon is specifically attacking Big Al's strip joint. <laughs> so we see a sign with Big Al. And Big Al's this big gangster guy. And next to him, there's a picture of this woman dressed in very little. It's clearly a strip joint. And that's getting blown up. So it, the Manticon's got a laser in its tail. And he's blowing stuff up. Yeah. Beachcomber tells Tracks to relax... And remember that they're all at one with the universe. We're likely to become one with the pavement. Yes. <laughs> now, I found this really, really, really unusual, the fact that he says pavement. It's an American series. They're in America. Surely he'd have said one with the sidewalk. Uh, no, 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 because um, I, I've had this conversation myself a couple of times. What we call the pavement, they call the sidewalk. That's the bit you walk along the side of the road on. Right. So sidewalk kind of makes sense in some respects because it is the side of the road. What they refer to in America as the pavement is the road surface. Okay. So that's what that's why you hear that in American well, did not know films that. and series now it sometimes. Makes sense. So there, yeah. It's the same word, but we call a different thing pavement. Good work, guys. That's teamwork. Omega Supreme arrives and he has a rather he has a better punch up with the Manticon than he does with Devastator, and uh, they you know they, they have a bit of a tussle and a fight and he lures it he lures this creature back up to its asteroid. Yeah, I'm ne I'm not clear on why that thing wanted to follow Omega Supreme. 
particularly because he didn't actually do anything apart from fly around it a few times and zap it a couple of times and irritate it. Yeah. But, but, okay, now my absolute favourite moment possibly of Transformers so far is coming up because Megatron, <laughs> Megatron is watching this through the stupidest pair of enormous purple binoculars I have ever seen. <laughs> He's got a gigantic tripod-mounted pair of binoculars. They're absolutely, oh, they must be 10, 20 metres long. It's yeah. insane. Um. <laughs> uh, well and done, he Megatron. wanted to turn them into a long-range laser cannon to blow up the asteroid. <laughs> because his plan at this point, he's heard, the Constructicons heard Prime telling Omega that the asteroid is the creature's food. The Constructicons have told Megatron that this is the case. So Megatron thinks, if I blow up the creature's food, he'll have nothing to eat except what's on Earth. And then we'll just sit back and watch it destroy the city. Once again, Megatron doesn't seem to be thinking his plan through because what is it going to do to his plans if the creature destroys the planet that he's actually standing on? Yeah, or it, it consumes all the energy. Or consumes all the energy. Energy. Uh, but yeah, basically he said to the Constructicons, can you turn my giant binoculars into a massive laser cannon? <laughs> <laughs> I saw what Perceptor did with the telescope the other week. <laughs> yeah. If Perceptor can make a telescope into a transporter, you can turn this into a big gun, surely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. And Prime yeah. has found them, so... Yeah, uh, before you can destroy the asteroid and Omega Supreme, Prime turns up. And, Steve, how well does Prime do here? He does incredibly well. Yeah. Um, he, he just fires a couple of blaster shots and, and destroys the processing station. Um, yeah. So basically, he's standing from a distance and shooting at them, and they're all terrified. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so he completely trounces them all. Uh, I did not get down the time of a specific retreat, but basically, they've won. Yeah, there, I, I don't yeah. think there was. I don't yeah. think there was a specific retreat in this episode. No. In space, the creature arrives. It eats its asteroid uh, with the organic matter in it, which is not alive, and it flies off because it's it's eaten. Yeah, and it's full, and it's it's free to go. It's at one with the universe, and then we get this final denouement on the Golden Gate Bridge. This is a we lovely scene, isn't it? It is. Although it, the pedant in me is thinking the Golden Gate Bridge probably wasn't designed to withstand the weight of Omega Supreme standing on it in the middle mid span, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> Prime is thankful. Omega Supreme says that duty fulfilled, compliment appreciated. And Prime has a wonderful line. He says, someday you'll see there are more important things in life than revenge. Possibility growing. He's, he's tearing up. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is an actual tear in his eye, um, which I thought from the perspective of a 57-year-old man watching a kid's cartoon, I thought was a bit daft. But from the perspective of somebody who really likes the Transformers animated series and really enjoys the whole thing, I just thought it was a lovely little moment. It was a lovely <laughs> little touch. So, yeah, daft, but, oh, bless him at the same time. Yeah, an emotional. I'm going to ruin that entirely by mentioning the fact that if Omega Supreme cries, he has a visor over his face. So is he going to just sort of fill up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> so yeah, so that that was uh, I that was hmm. okay. So who's the man of the match, Steve? Oh, it's, it's got to be Omega Supreme. Okay, uh, primarily for not kicking Optimus Prime from one side of the galaxy to the other for being so harsh with him, um, but also saving the day and for um, telling us the, the viewer. Really, I know he was actually telling Prime, but telling us the story, the story of what happened to him for him to end up the way he is. So yeah, it's it for me. It's Omega Supreme all the way. Yeah, Jason, I'm going with Optimus Prime. Oh, um, because first of all, because he decides, <clears throat> you know, he's Omega Supreme could quite easily bat him from one side of the mountain to the other, but he still stands up to Omega Supreme and tells him you have bigger duties to perform. He does his leadership thing. And while Omega Supreme is busy doing his other duties, he just pops over the Decepticon base and blows it up single-handed. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much the best showing that Optimus Prime has ever put in in conflict with the Decepticons. So, you know, it's got to be Optimus Prime. Uh, well, I am actually going to side with Steve on this one. It's Omega Supreme because he, I think just think he grows as a character uh, as much as he can. <laughs> Not that he needs to grow; he's big enough already. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. And it was it was it was a pretty okay. There was there's a lot of problems with this episode. The continuity is an absolute mess, but taken on its own, and if you could just forget everything else. It's pretty good, isn't it? I for, It just didn't work for me. Oh. Um, the whole... There, there are two things about it that undermine the entire premise as far as I could gather as I was watching it. So the idea is that Omega Supreme feels hatred for the Constructicons because they betrayed him. Except that... They were reprogrammed. They were not acting under their own volition when they betrayed him. So that, for me, kind of makes his anger and hatred entirely misplaced. Why isn't it Megatron, the one who betrayed, who turned his friends against him, where his hatred is is directed? Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, I think the Robo Smasher is just a terrible idea. If the Constructicons had been persuaded to join Megatron just by Megatron's skills as... you know, And we know that Megatron can do that. I mean, he turned the Dinobots against Optimus Prime in Season 1 just by figuring out what makes them tick, appealing to their personalities and basically making it seem like a good idea. So he can do it. But in this episode, he's just got a toy that reprograms robots to be evil which kind of makes Omega Supreme's hatred of the Constructicons seem really, really unfair, actually. He's not, he hasn't been betrayed by the Constructicons. Somebody has turned his friends against him by other means, be outside their will. So that, that for me, doesn't work um, with the Robo Smasher. And the other bit that doesn't work is the result of the problems they had with Omega Supreme's speech patterns. Because... It heavily implies that he was changed by the Robo Smasher to this guy who speaks in this very distinctive way, except apparently he can talk normally if he decides to. 
<laughs> so it kind of they've got these premises which another pass with the script probably could have solved the problems yeah. Um, but yeah the the whole idea the basic background story just doesn't work for me you know well, you other was... than that the idea of the omega supreme having a vendetta against the constructicons who turn into about the only other robot comparable in size to him at this point yeah okay i can i can get on board with that yeah but as i said the reasoning behind it is just flawed i think yeah uh steve would you agree with that assessment yes to, yes no jason has made some very valid points i also wonder if whatever the robo smasher did to omega supreme did kind of alter his way of thinking as well which gave him that 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 sense of revenge against the the constructicons yeah. we could probably debate that actual thing for hours but no jason's got some valid points there um I, yeah. I still think it's a very good episode. There are better episodes. There are much better episodes, but this one is one of my favourites. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, Omega Supreme is in it a lot. Yes. Yeah. Um, that definitely counts in its favour. I mean, Omega Supreme is fantastic, and I love the way he talks. The fact that they, that when they when they write him well, he can be menacing and hilariously funny at the same time. Yeah, he's he, he's a, he's a good boy. And the other thing about this episode is, uh, again, I feel so sorry for Cosmos. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Such yes. a rough time of it. Just, I, yeah, he's he, so he's been he's been covered in spores, attacked by tentacles. Uh, he's had his head stolen by Bumblebee and Spike, <laughs> and Prime's having a go at him. It's yeah, just Prime, Prime has spent the last two episodes just dragging on. <laughs> cosmos so 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 all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for listening to robots in your eyes i've been stephen alexander co-hosting with jason thompson and the fabulous steve walker we'll be back next week with another action-packed double bill but until then remember that revenge is a dish best served by a robot that can shatter a mountainside, lift 300,000 tonnes with his clawed arm, destroy 12-inch steel cube with a plasma blaster arm, and can transform to a laser cannon tank and launching pad with rocket. Good night. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you.